This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Brian Keating and Raja Thiagarajan, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 447 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet, which is now available for download. And this will involve spoilers for everything in the movie, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Erin Lindsay, making her 26th appearance on the show. She's the author of the Bloodbound series of epic fantasy novels and the Nicholas Lenoir series of paranormal detective novels, which she writes under the name E.L. Tetensor. The Silver Shooter, the latest novel in her Rose Gallagher series of historical mysteries, is out now. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. The next up, we've got Anthony Ha, making his 23rd appearance on the show. He covers media, advertising, and pop culture for TechCrunch, where he also hosts the podcast Original Content. A chapbook of his short stories called Love Songs for Monsters was published by Youth in Decline in 2014, and his short story Late Train appeared in the February 2019 issue of Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. And also joining us today is Andrea Kale, making her 18th appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's the former script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and is currently a staff writer at WWE's Monday Night Raw. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so let's start off with Aaron and have you tell us what were your expectations going into Tenet? Hmm, expectations. I expected something mind-bending um, and explosive in every sense of the word, and that's pretty much what I got. Um, I definitely was looking forward to a sort of Inception-like movie. Um, this turned out to be more complicated than that um, and kind of drew in little threads from a lot of other Christopher Nolan works, which I appreciated. Um, I, I deliberately stayed away from reading about it because I figured it would be pretty spoilerific. Um, and so I didn't have a lot in terms of knowledge going into watching it. I did not expect to understand it on the first watch through. Um, and indeed I did not. I mean, <laughs> I, I understood of course the broad strokes um, and I would have liked to have time to do a detailed rewatch before, um, before recording but with the holidays, it just didn't work out. But I came around to the idea that maybe that was a good thing because, you know, I, I'm not sort of equipped with all the ex post facto details that maybe um, the you, you weren't meant to have on your first watch through, if I could put it that way. I think I sort of, you know, drank up as much as I could. And I don't think that Nolan expected you to understand his movie or particularly cared if you did. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so from, from that perspective, I think I'm the ideal viewer. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. We'll get we'll we'll I'll be curious to hear uh your perspective. But so Anthony, what were your expectations going into Tenet? 
I would say that they were fairly similar in that I was expecting a Christopher Nolan movie and I thought it was going to be visually spectacular. Um, I thought it was going to have some of the clunkiness that, I mean, I found that in general, um, almost all of his movies have some element that I find sort of head clutchingly dumb. Um, and I mean, this also did not disappoint on that front, but <laughs> that it would be like visually amazing and it would be like interesting and unlike anything I'd seen before. And then, you know, because he's somebody who so prizes the theatrical experience, I, I assumed as well that it would be, you know, something where it was just going to be like, really gorgeous and something that I probably I wished that I'd been able to see on a a big screen. And then because I'd read the New York Times review, I expected this to be a movie full of really uh, beautifully tailored suits. <laughs> and that was also somewhat true. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, speaking of the theatrical experience, I mean, maybe for people in the future, generations in the future who are listening to this, um, you know, we're currently in the midst of a global pandemic. And so uh, I didn't see this in the theater. I don't think anyone did, right? This is, and so the reason we're talking about this right. now, even though it came out months ago, is because it just came out on, you know, for for to buy it on uh, on Amazon and stuff, and so you can watch it at home. And I do think probably, um, I don't know, you know, how much more I would have enjoyed this if I had seen it on the big screen. But it is a sort of a big screen spectacular sort of thing. So presumably, I would have enjoyed it more, um, at least somewhat, if I'd seen it on the big screen. Um, but how about Andrea? Uh, expectations going in? Um, I I I didn't read a lot about the movie. Um, just heard, you know, word of mouth from other people who had seen it. Uh, I didn't know the plot. Um, so I, but what I did expect going into it was that I wasn't going to understand a damn thing, and um, pretty much lived up to that. Uh, I, I followed it for a while, and then somewhere halfway through, it just like. It went nuclear with the what the hell is going on here, and um, and it it kind of lost me from there. I was trying to follow, never sort of quite caught up. Still, despite that, it's it is spectacular. It's beautiful. Um, the acting's fantastic. Um, I, I and do I want to watch it again? Yes, just kind of so that I can figure out what's going on. Um, but I kind of have this feeling that I will never really get it. And I'm wondering if, if it actually any of it makes sense. But it's time travel. So does it really make sense? Everybody's got its own, their own rules for time travel. Whatever. Um, it, it, it just seems to me like a movie that is intended to be a perpetual enigma. Uh, and good luck to you figuring it out for, for till the end of time you know <laughs> yeah well we'll definitely get into that because I, I watched it twice and i've watched hours and hours of explainer videos and i'd still i would say <laughs> i would say i understand the movie maybe 75 percent at this point um and I, I feel like that's what he's going for can i just say that like somebody needs to figure out how to monetize the spin-off uh oh, industry God. of explainer videos because i mean Christopher Nolan would be the richest son of a bitch. Yes. <laughs> yep, absolutely. That, that and the producers of Dark, um, <laughs> just <laughs> for like, just, you know, if you could get paid by the hour of explainer video. Yeah, well, th well, this is, I think, the first movie I've watched where there are actual animated explainer charts of where the characters are Jesus. in time and space and which direction they're moving <laughs> and everything. 
And you, you absolutely, you still can't even really understand what's going on, even with those, but it does help a lot. And, you know, everything else I've seen, like Primer or whatever, they'll just have a chart, you know, like a static chart. And you would think that that would be enough for a movie, but this, this one, it needs to be animated because you can't get enough information on one, you know, on, on one piece of paper. <laughs> um, but I, I went through a real, like, emotional roller coaster with this movie because I, when I first heard of it, I was really excited about it. You know, I liked, uh, Christopher Nolan's other movies a lot. Um, the only thing, and when I saw the first trailer, um, I think there was a line in the trailer where, you know, there's this, uh, scientist and she says, uh, there's this bullet and it's traveling backward through time. This is the detritus from a coming war. And I was like, oh, this sounds so cool. And really my only apprehension at that point was I was afraid it looked like maybe it might be a little bit of a retread of Inception with, you know, just sort of a, a different, um, you know, gimmick, but um, a sort of similar sort of story. So I was, that was my only real concern at that point. Um, so I was really, really excited about it. And then uh, I guess it came out and, you know, I didn't want to go see it because it was only in theaters. Oh, and there all, there'd also been this hype about how this was going to be the the movie that was going to save theaters because everyone would return yeah. to the theaters mm-hmm. to see um, a tenant. Um but then, like, once people started seeing it, 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 the response seemed to be really, really mixed. And I heard a lot of, like, oh, this is Christopher Nolan's worst movie and all this stuff. And so by the time I got around to watching it, um, I, my expectations were were much, much lower. And I would say, like, on first viewing, I still found the movie a bit of a letdown. I mean, I thought that all the time stuff, all the science fiction stuff I thought was really brilliant and cool and original. And I loved it. Um, but a lot of the rest of the movie, uh, kind of fell flat for me. Um, so, so I guess let's start there. Um, did anyone have, I guess, well, Aaron, you, you, you want to jump in there? I, I mean, I just agree with everything that you're saying. Um, I think more than any other movie of Christopher Nolan's that I've seen this one, and this is going to sound worse than I mean it is all hat and no cattle. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's um it's like a you know what it is it's like a really fast sports car that doesn't have the right engine in it or any engine in it in in terms of an emotional engine at all so it's it's really slick and on a technical level really impressive and some of the ideas are great but it's almost like he was so obsessed with the with the concept and with the execution of uh palindromic chase scenes that he didn't mm. invest anything in character zip in character and almost nothing in genuine plot. And it's a shame because those are arguably the easy parts. Um, and if you go to all this trouble to construct this, this beautiful chassis, why you wouldn't bother putting a workable engine in it is a bit, is a bit beyond me and was my big disappointment with this movie. Yeah, I guess my initial impression on first viewing was that this was a story that probably needed like three or four hours to tell it. And it had been compressed down to two and a half hours, which is a pretty long for a feature film. But I, I sort of suspect that some, you know, th- there was some rule somewhere that this movie can't be longer than two and a half hours. And I felt like they had trimmed a lot of the like the dialogue scenes down to the bone. And and it seems like the actors were like reading scripted dialogue at like one point five speed or something to me. <laughs> um, and and so a lot of like even like right from the start. So so it starts out and there's this. Um, sort of terrorist attack on an opera in Ukraine, I think. And yeah. um, and even like right from the start, it just felt really choppy to me. Like it was really hard to follow like what was going on and even just physically what was going on because all the cuts were so quick. 
Um, so like right off the bat, I kind of had a sinking feeling about the movie, but, um, like Anthony, what, what did you think when, about that opera opening thing? Um, I actually liked that part because, um, I sort of assumed, well, I, I also, because they, they'd released that scene online a little bit before they released the, made the film available for, for rent or I guess for purchase. Um, and so I watched that a little bit beforehand and I, assumed that I was going to be confused at the beginning and then things would become clear over time. And so the first part of that was true. It was that like, okay, I don't really understand what's happening in this scene, but like, wow, like I'm seeing, um, you know, a, a symphony hall filled with people. This is a strange and novel thing. And <laughs> there's like a lot of cool action going on. And they're using these like code phrases, like we live in a twilight world. And so I didn't understand it exactly, but I, I, I enjoyably did not understand it. And then I think it was as the movie went on and sort of things did not, there was no moment where I was like, oh, now I see. And instead it was just sort of growing confusion. And then when the when I did understand things, it didn't feel that satisfying either. It was sort of like, oh, that seems kind of dumb, actually. Uh, that I think my dissatisfaction with the movie grew as it went on. But at the beginning, I was like on board for it because I was like, this is confusing. But at some point, somebody's going to explain what what is happening, and it's going to be great. And then that didn't happen. Yeah, but so with that, for, like I like on my second viewing, I literally I went back and forth through that first thing, like frame by frame to sort out what was going on. And I'm still pretty confused, but like, I think basically what was going on is that our main character, who's just known as the protagonist is some sort of CIA operative. And somehow he knows he's somehow he's working with these uh, Russian or Ukrainian gangsters. And they know that this terrorist attack is about to take place and they're going to pretend to be um, a SWAT, you know, they're going to like slip in with the SWAT team responding to the call and they're going to extract this guy who's attending the opera, who's the CIA asset who's been made and whoever it is, the government or whatever, Ukrainian government, I'm not even sure, is planning to kill him and make it look like he was one of the people who died in this opera. Um, none of which really makes any sense to me. Um, and then there's like a part where one of the SWAT team guys switches clothes with him and then they come back to the car with the gangsters and then the gangsters are like, this isn't the guy or like this guy's nobody or something. Like, I don't know if anyone can bring any more <laughs> coherence to that than I, I, I can. I mean, Aaron, you're an expert on international politics. Can you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can say is that I, my take on the, the assassination was just that the, the terrorist attack was meant to sort of make you think of the Chechen attack on the, yeah. the Russian theater. Um, and that, that this, they were probably going to, to blame this attack on. Yeah. Um, who knows? Ukrainian separatists, something linked to the Crimea. Russians, it, it, take your pick of, of nasties. Um, operating in, in that in the theater literally, and um, and use that as a cover up so that it wasn't apparent that an assassination had taken place. But you know that none of that really matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to, yeah. to the extent that you understand that part, it's, yeah. You know, so <laughs> it doesn't yeah. help you understand the movie at all. It, yeah, exactly. That's my take on it, and, and I don't know if I'm. I don't know. I had a different. I none of the beginnings part i didn't know exactly what was going on i also remembered that that uh, the the chechen attack on the theater um so i kind of uh put my own 
um, interpretations of it on that. Um, but I think for me, I quickly realized that none of this was important. Um, what was important was the characters and learning exactly who our character is. For me, what I took from it all was he's, he's an operative who's been, uh, who's infiltrated these, this, um, uh, what Chechen, the Russian mafia or whatever they are. And he gets caught and he, um, decides to, he takes the, the, the pill and dies. And then we wake up and that's when he wakes up with, you know, in the, in the, uh, the ship. That's where the story starts. The entire, that entire attack in the opera house, it was set up. It was character building. It was, this is who this guy is. Now let's see what happens when we go into the real story. Um, so I wasn't all that confused because I kind of got the feeling that none of it mattered. It was about the guy who we see immediately, you know, it, it, with the mask on and you see his face and you know that he's a plant. Um, and, and just to, um, wait, wait, which, which, which guy are you talking about? Our main character protagonist. Does okay. he ever have a name? No. No, no, he's just no. the protagonist. Which, yeah. Which is dumb. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. <laughs> well, the worst thing. Well, then he shouts, I'm the protagonist, multiple times. <laughs> it's I don't, I didn't, it it's, didn't bug me. And, and I just want to actually address something that you said earlier, Aaron, which was that everybody seemed – there was no character building. There was no character. To me, that didn't strike me as weird because they're all CIA agents. They're all operatives. And they – operatives tend to be really bland. Uh, because they've got to fit in. So the fact that they talk that way didn't bother me. And, um, and, you know, the, the problem with it for me was the giant exposition dumps, which I don't think in a movie like this you can avoid. Um, what I didn't understand, uh, going forward at some point was the emotional stakes. Why is he so invested in the woman, in the, exactly. in the wife? I'd had no idea. And I, that was what I kept trying to figure out. And it, I never got that answer. Nobody has a coherent motivation for a damn yes. thing. Yeah. With the, with the arguable Absolutely. exception of the woman who yes. has, and, and I deliberately refer to her as a woman, <laughs> yeah. has the same stakes that we all knew she was going to have because that's the stakes that the woman always gets yeah. in these kinds of movies. <laughs> right. Um, my son, so that, my son. It's just yeah. something, it's some, won't somebody think of the children? Anyway, so she's got this, which would be okay were it part of a broader picture that was in any way emotionally satisfying, but it is impossible to invest emotionally in any of these characters. And I, I get where you're coming from, Andrea, about the operatives and clearly the fact that they name him the protagonist. They're like, they, they, they want him to a certain degree to mm -hmm. be a veneer and they want um, Robert Pattinson's character to be mysterious and, and all mm -hmm. of that I kind of understand. But then even the, the evil mustache twisting cliche bond villain has no coherent <laughs> motivations or emotional stakes in this thing at all. Yeah. And so it just kind of all falls apart there for me. Yeah. Right, well, and, just... and, and we, we never see any of the, the motivations, which is, you know, the, the cornerstone of filmmaking, which is show don't tell. We just get mm. told everything. Well, he's got terminal cancer. So now he's going to kill himself. And if he can't be alive, then nobody else can. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's just explain oh, this because if go. any movie needs some extra explanation, it's this one. So <laughs> yeah. the um, the bad guy, yeah, is this Russian oligarch named Sator. And he at some point was in his past. He sort of got his start by digging up radioactive 
sites that nobody else wanted As you to do. wanted to be yeah. involved with and found a message from people in the future who said we want to reverse the flow of time because our future is all like fucked up and we need to the only way we have is to go back and here's some gold that we've sent back through time so you can start your evil empire and so he did that and then our, our hero the protagonist he finds these uh, bullets that have been inverted so somehow they've gone through this process where they the time flow on them have been have been reversed and they're moving backward through time and so he sort of gets the idea that um, that this this Russian oligarch villain has uh, is the one responsible for these backward time bullets, and so he's investigating him. And in order to get to him, he's talking to the guy's wife, who's sort of a prisoner of of the oligarch, and she's an art appraiser and had uh, been fooled uh, by this fake painting, and he had bought it, and now somehow he's holding this over her head that he's going to have the authorities come after her if she doesn't do what he says, which makes no sense to me at all. Cause <laughs> yeah. I thought he, she would be more scared of this private mercenary army that would kill anyone who <laughs> like than, than about the art fraud stuff. But, and, um, and he's going to sick the authorities on her. <laughs> yeah. Like, Okay, can we talk about the degree of criminal malfeasance? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my oopsie with the art doesn't quite measure up to your massive international arms yeah. dealing, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, so so all the like the first couple, I don't even it's almost the first hour of the movie is just the main character going from conversation to conversation and all all of which I said really kind of just fell flat for me. Um, but the movie yeah. really picks up a lot for me when they I mean, and, and this, so, so they decide they're going to bust into this airport. Um, it's kind of complicated, but there's this. Uh, Freeports. Yeah, it's Freeports. I don't, I'd never heard of this before, but apparently people who, um, you know, want to have to import stuff but not pay taxes on it will just kind of hold stuff at the airport and they can go and look at it uh, and it, and <laughs> it doesn't officially get imported. And so they're going to steal a, a painting from this, this Freeport and uh and this is awesome and involves crashing a 747 into the into the building and then there's like this cool like halide gas stuff that they have to hold their breath um but this all climaxes when they get to this strange corridor where there are these kind of two uh, cir- uh sort of arc-shaped doors and uh there's a window between the the two hallways and there's bullet holes in the hallway and Robert Pattinson says what happens here and the protagonist said, it says it hasn't happened yet. And then two sort of SWAT team guys come out of the strange doors and they scrap with them. And one of the guys seems to be moving backward through time. So it's this really weird fight where um, the protagonist is fighting this guy who's like moving backward in time. And at and that point, I instantly I like, knew the identity of, did anyone else? <laughs> I Sorry, confess, Dave, I, 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 confess I did not discern the identity of this mysterious character at this point. I kind of figured it out when Robert Pattinson runs away. Yeah. See, all this stuff, like like I said, all this stuff was happening so fast. Like what happens in this is that Robert Pattinson pulls the figure's helmet off and sort of stares at him and then runs back the other way. But it all happened so fast the first time I, I totally just like missed what was happening. Um, but it was super cool. So did, ever, did everyone agree, Anthony, that this backward fight thing was totally oh, yeah. badass? Yeah. Yeah, it was that the the to me like, um, I mean all the action scenes, including this 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 um backwards fight scene was um great because it's 
you know, it, it, you're just like not used to seeing, like, I think you've seen movies where things might play in reverse, but to have somebody who is fighting normally and then somebody who um, more than anything else, like they just seem off in some way in this. And then that like cause and effect, as they say in the movie is sort of reversed um, is just not something I've ever seen before. And so that was amazing. Yeah. Like there's a the part where he like, what happens is that he's thrown the guy to the ground and then the guy is scrambling backwards, but it's happening in reverse. So the guy's kind of scr- scrambling, across, you know, on his back toward him and sort of leaps up. It's, it's, it's a really uh, unsettling and, and, and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrea. Awesome. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah. Fantastic. Um, I thought it was great. A- as is the second, the time you watch it the second time from the other perspective. Um, cause you sort of maybe have a little idea of what's going on at that point. <laughs> um, but, um, both ways, it's, it's a great fight scene and the, you know, crashing the, uh, airplane is just awesome. <laughs> yeah. And actually, you know, um, I actually really liked Robert Pattinson in this, you know, I've seen him in a bunch yeah. of like sort of pretentious movies where that I'm mm-hmm. almost unwatchable. So I, yes, I wasn't necessarily a fan of his, but I thought, I thought he was really charming in this. Yeah. And I, I, the one thing they do well is they he sets up this expectation that there's somebody's going to um, betray him, and specifically Robert Pattinson. Uh, but that you know it, it pays off in the end in, in that it he defies that expectation, and in fact, this is his most loyal friend, so to speak, um, which I, I I appreciated. Yeah, uh, Aaron. Anything else to add about all this stuff here? I mean, I just, it felt to me like a, an incredibly well choreographed dance sequence. Um, mm. and, and, you know, it reminded me of not for the same reasons, but some of the reasons I appreciated the fight scenes in Crouch, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, mm. just the, the amount of thought that goes into every twist and turn in that fight scene is just, it's just amazing. But I would say if, you know, if you didn't find that hallway fight scene satisfying, there is nothing in this movie for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That that is the hat of which I spoke. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's that's it. Like that's that's yeah. what this movie is basically just an excuse yeah. to cobble together those action sequences. That's a yeah. totally fair point. Yeah, like I would. Yeah, I would. If if the idea of a guy fighting another guy who's moving backward through time doesn't appeal to you, you can just like skip this movie altogether. Yeah. Right there. yeah. <laughs> Um, right. But I do I do feel like this movie is a must watch for science fiction fans. I mean, I feel like, it. you know, like the I've never you know, I've watched a lot of science fiction movies and book and I've read a lot of books and so on. I've never seen this idea precisely. I mean, the closest I could really think of is in um, Primer. They have the boxes where time goes backward inside the boxes. And so that's how they get into the past. But this is this is kind of taking that a step farther and saying, oh, but in, and then if you step out of the box, you're still moving backward through time and the whole world around you is moving backward. And and then it, it goes, you know, several layers deep with that idea and exploring you know, so many different um, convolutions of that idea. But um, I think you have to give this movie a lot of credit for its conceptual originality. I would say that it's essential more for action movie fans than for science fiction fans. I mean, I think there's some overlap in that, but in the sense that I'm not sure that the concept is explored in any sort of like particularly thematically rich or intellectually rich way. It's more... Isn't this, an, a, you know, a cool idea that will allow us to create 
action sequences unlike anything you've seen. And that is 100% true. Um, but in terms of like thinking about like, oh, what would a society look like where some people were going like this? What would the experience be like? What does this mean for the people involved? I don't think it's a particularly strong film. Why did you weaponize time? It's got to be the biggest dud in the whole movie. Is what the future people want is such a womp womp for me. It's just yeah. like the, the whole concept behind why this future war, which is variously painted as World War Three, which suggests at least two sides to the to the conflict, um, or Armageddon, or <laughs> World War Three leading to Armageddon. It's not quite clear what anybody on that future side of the equation the, the what this conflict is about is never mm-hmm. very clear. And to the degree that it's explained, it is the most unsatisfying phoned in explanation. Yeah. And and also, if you can travel through time, isn't there some better way to fix climate change than just blowing up Blow the past? Up the like, really? You have so, <laughs> so I can I can come up with so many better options than so let's stupid. blow Let's put the, you know, bring the, the world to an end. It's just, it, it's, it's all concept it's all spectacle it's like this movie sort of now that you know taking into account everything everybody's saying it's kind of like a more highbrow version of a michael bay movie which is just shit blows up and people do stuff but we don't really care i'm here to i'm here for the blow up shit it's kind of like that but but more highbrow yeah, well, let me. I think though it's established in the movie though that the people in the future don't think that they're destroying the world. They think that they can actually reverse the flow of time, and that that's their only hope for a, you know, for their civilization to continue. And I actually thought that, that was makes pretty. Still sense. Yeah. Sorry. Well. Sorry. Well, the, so 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 the future's dumb as fuck. Like. Well, so like, this is, literally this is the... can't figure out another way to do this. It just doesn't. I don't know. Well, let me just, this is the conversation. This is toward the end of the movie, but the protagonist says, how could they want to kill us? And Sador says, their oceans rose and their rivers ran dry. Don't you see they have no choice but to turn back? We're responsible. Knowing this, do you still want me to stop? And the protagonist says, yes. Each generation looks out for its own survival. And Sador says, that's exactly what they're doing. And I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I agree with Aaron that it's totally un- underexplored, or pretty much unexplored. But I think that if this were, were a... um like a season of television, which I think is really probably what it should have been, um, mm. or at least some sort of miniseries or something. I, I think it would yeah. have been really interesting to explore that more. And I think there should have been somebody from the future, from this you know dystopian future who we see on stage in this story. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, st- I still need way more than that. Uh, you know, one of the, the sort of fundamental tenets of grand <laughs> strategy um, is you need an end state. And so what is their end state? It's to me, it's not clear. So, okay, if they, they have to turn back time, are they, and they're talking about to some, at some points they make it sound like they want to reverse the flow of the river, you know, and they want it to go upstream instead of downstream. Okay. But to what end, what is the end state that you're looking for? Do you rewind all the way to the primordial ooze or like, what's the plan mm-hmm. here? Yeah. And that never emerges for me. So again, if you could reverse the flow of time, um, and if you can use that reverse flow, as Andrea was saying before, to do things like, for example, um, plant puzzle pieces mm-hmm. um, at various points in the past, if you can plant things at various points in the past, surely you can do better than that. 
You know, you can plant yeah. other items of technology, you can plant people, you can, well, I guess you can't plant people because they only have a certain lifespan, but you could theoretically. So just, just for example, they've, suppose they've got the, the technology now to seed the atmosphere to create a sort of a sun shield. Plant that shit in the past mm -hmm. where nobody knows where it is and can't stop it from happening instead of just reversing the flow of time. Yeah. So because that doesn't go anywhere. So it just, you yeah. know, it felt like they started to sketch out an idea that could have been from a science fiction point of view that could have been interesting, but they didn't really go very far with it. Another one yeah. for me is like they, they have, they plant their puzzle pieces in nuclear sites. <laughs> well, if they're from the future, they know that nuclear sites might have been very secure during the Cold War, but were a total basket case during the 1990s after the fall of the Soviet Union in places like Ukraine that lost mm -hmm. completely lost control of a lot of their missile sites and there were nuclear submarines rotting in harbors. They would have known that those things would become completely insecure and in fact really sought after by people like Sater. So just like little things that if you just thought a little bit harder, you would have done a better job at, but I think they just weren't all that invested in telling a coherent story. Yeah. It was the, the story was, the, the everything was serving where they wanted to go as opposed to, you know, setting up characters that made sense to serve, to, to tell that story that way. Um, like why would, it, it, as you said, if you can have this, if you can go back and plant stuff, why are you going back and uh, collaborating with a vicious mobster? Why wouldn't you go back and collaborate with scientists? As you said, give them future technology so that we can see, you know, as they would know, the problem with climate change at the moment is, is financially based is it's monitor. It's, it's people making money off of ruining the environment. So why not fix that instead of it just makes no sense that you would form an alliance with a killer. Um, and, and a vicious mobster. It just did not make sense to me. I think within the fiction of the worlds, you can't change, like, you can't change the path. I, I think that this algorithm thing is a way to get around the overall principle that you can't change the past. I think that in this universe, everything that happened happened. So they can't, like, go back in time and, you know, change what led to this situation, but they can sort of like do this cosmic thing that's going to reverse the flow of time. And that's the only thing that they have the power to change. I think that that's the way it's supposed to be established in the, in the movie. Well, and then to Aaron's question, does that mean, so if, which I mean, I also had a little bit of dissatisfaction with these sort of gestures towards the idea that, that, you know, the past is immutable, even though you're traveling in time and that even when you go back, you're only sort of making what has already happened happened. But if it's true then that the only option they have is to reverse the flow of time, what, what do they think will happen then? Like, what is the advantage? Is it, they just relive everything and they don't have to, and they just get further and further away from their, um, you know, their like post-apocalyptic future. Well, we don't know. I mean, it's not we don't it's not dramatized or explained, <laughs> so we don't know what would happen. But, you know, when um, the protagonist, when he reverses the flow of time, he's like walking around and, you know, he, he's like able presumably he would able, be able to live a whole life going backwards. Right. Like it, 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 it would open up this new sort of terrain for you to exist if you can't go forward. He never took off the mask. 
Well, I think that if you reverse the flow of time, though, then you could take off the mask because all the air would be traveling back in time too. You know, or, you know, the air, you know, all the air would have okay. had its um, entropy reversed as well. So your your thesis is that they want to <laughs> your theory is that they want to start at that's the end point and then slowly deprogress into the future, future past. And, well, like, yeah, that. The, yeah, that they want to live backwards because because there's no future, but there's a you know th th there's no livable Earth in the future, but there is a livable Earth in the past, and they can be the ones living on it if they reverse the flow of time. I mean, this is all none of this is but, really spelled out in the movie. I'm just telling you what my he, impression was. Well, which could be interesting, but it still opens up questions because if people still act on their environment, then it doesn't really matter what direction time flows human will flows in, in, in a certain direction, meaning if you have a certain amount of technology at your disposal at your, at your starting point, does that technology hmm. not persist into the past and therefore do you not end up just recreating your problems all over again? I don't know if what I'm saying is clear because it's pretty hard to be clear. Well, but see, this is the kind of thing that should be explored in a TV series. Right. Like, yeah, what do people think of that? That I, would be interesting. Like, what would the implications of that be? Yeah. Like, do, does everyone agree that this is like trying to do too much in too short of a time? Yes. I, I, I disagree slightly in that I also think that a lot of the questions you're asking and that we're all sort of scratching our heads over don't, it's not just a question of the, the time constraint of a movie, but that they, these don't seem to be the questions that interest I agree. Nolan. It's not and the that, ambition like, to tell that story. Yeah. Right. And that like, you know, that there are a lot of con that, you know, there's a lot, I would argue that there's a lot of stretches of this movie, including we were talking about that first hour that don't necessarily use the running time that well, because they don't, and, and maybe these things are tied together, but th that there's no sort of exploration or dramatization. It's just one conversation after the other where people say incredibly cryptic and confusing things. And so like, I, I agree that probably if the goal was to really explore the science fictional implications of this idea, you would need a lot more than a two and a half hour movie. But I also don't like, I think you could have made a much more dramatically satisfying film that, you know, a lot of this stuff was still kind of kept off screen, but like there were more, you know, more interesting characters and more clear emotional stakes, even within the, the running time that they had. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think I, I think Dave, what you're saying is true if it had been the ambition of the storytellers to tell that story, but I just don't think it I think that was all just sort of meant to be hand waving in, mm -hmm. in the margins of, of this and those weren't questions that they were legitimately asking. And I completely agree that a lot of the runtime, if you think about it, and Dave, you watched this a second time. My impression of it watching it the first time was that a huge amount of screen time is devoted to two people talking about what just happened, <laughs> what's going to happen. Or how it's going to happen differently this time or not happen differently this time. There's a whole lot of people sort of chewing their cud. Yeah. If I go back to another cattle analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, in which not a whole lot happens. And those conversations, I guess, are necessary to the degree that even with those conversations, we still had no idea what was going on. It's almost like it was an unhappy halfway point between explaining all of it so that it's 
it makes some sense and we, we don't come away with this feeling like we've missed a lot of the movie or just saying, just completely saying, fuck it. And, <laughs> and just throwing us on, on the roller coaster and letting us go through the whole thing and not have really much to hold on to. And somehow the, in trying to square the circle, we maybe end up with the worst of both worlds where we get these long, like there's just a lot of chatter. Yeah. yeah. Well, but but see, I had almost the opposite reaction in that I thought there wasn't enough talking about what just happens because, like, like in the in the first scene, the protagonist sees a mysterious figure sort of suck a bullet out of a chair mm-hmm. and pass through a bad guy back into his gun and then run off. And he there's never a part where he's like, and it's not it's not until much later, but like yeah. I feel like right there we need some him to say to somebody like, did you see that? That was fucking weird. What, what's going on here? And <laughs> and the fact that that doesn't happen makes it really hard to identify with his character because we're you know we're not like with him um, on this emotional journey. Like he's but, so but, opaque to us. It but that doesn't bother me because like he's in the middle he's in the middle of being shot at. No, Would I mean you not, stop not and question then, and. But, in, and in, I think doesn't he say something to the guy on the on the does, ship? Yeah. yeah, he says something. Um, but I think it's all one. It's one of those. I'm I'm in the CIA. Shit's weird. Um, I've been giving some. I've been given some orders. I have to infiltrate. I got to figure out what this is. So I'm just gonna you know do some pull ups until uh, my assignment comes in. I, I don't think he mentions the backward bullet to the CIA handler. He mentions it to the science the, to the tenant scientist. Because he's like, I've seen ammo like this before, and that's the first. Yeah, yeah, like, later, reaction. yeah. But that's like Does, that's so much later. Doesn't he have a second where he's running up between the aisles and he's like, "Somebody just saved my ass," and and the other guy's like, "It's not one of ours," and he's like, "I don't care," uh, you know. I, I'll take the help. Yeah, yeah he, he doesn't does mention the help. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't mention, mention the, the whole backwards bullet. bullet thing. No. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's my and 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 I'm kind of assuming that's Robert Pattinson again. Yes. No? Yeah, we know it is because yeah. he has the red. The, the thing, you, yeah. The red, like the yeah, the red thing on the, on the backpack, on the red, yeah. Red, yeah. Yeah. Which I literally noticed for the first time at the very end. So speaking of unsatisfying emotional beats, I think they really <laughs> wanted that reveal to hit us hard. But it was Robert Pattinson the whole time, and I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait, what? Did I? Miss I think that? it should have. <laughs> yeah, it should have been a little bit bigger. I think. Yeah, well, like in the shot at the in the opera scene, the shot of the red thread was so quick. I didn't notice it at all. I just, yeah, I, just, I only know about it because I watched all these explainer videos. But like, this is what I'm saying. Like, so many of these things just we needed to live in these moments for so much longer. Both, in my opinion, both the conversations and some of these action moments because it just like it was so fast. It just passed, completely went over my head what was even happening. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but let's let's talk about the uh, the freeway chase. Which I think is by far the most confusing part of the movie, yeah. and yes. this is this is really the thing where. But it's cool. It's so cool. I mean, like, so the, you know, they pull off this high, this this you know armored car kind of heist, and they're getting away in their BMW, whatever, and like they think they're in the clear. They've gotten what they believe is some sort of nuclear device, and then they see this like SUV like weaving in the in the distance. They see this SUV speeding you know, at 80 miles an hour backwards through traffic coming toward them. And they, I mean, I got chills watching that. It's It was really, really cool. And then this this car is kind of like driving backwards after, you know, chasing them sort of. And it's, it's and then, you know, it sort of pulls up alongside them and you see the the, the window rolls down and there's Sator and he has a, some sort of breathing apparatus on and he's counting down on his fingers with a gun to the woman's head. Um, 
all that stuff I thought was so cool. Like, cause it was, you know, I was showing, you know, my girlfriend didn't want to watch this whole movie. So I was just showing her <laughs> some of the, the time reversal stuff. And like just watching those in isolation, you're just like, this just looks like the coolest movie you've ever seen. You know, it's like, like that stuff is so good. Yeah. He does. He does. That's what he does. Well, that's um, what he invested in. Yeah. Yeah. I had a question though about the logistics of that scene in the sense of, um, and again, with the preface that it, as an visual experience, it is amazing and l like nothing I've seen. Um, but part of the whole thread of what's happening there is that the protagonist has decided that he has, he has to basically help Sator mm -hmm. like at all costs, right? That like at one point, um, uh, Sator's wife like actually like cuts him loose from the boat that they're on and he falls and he could he could have drowned at that moment um, and the protagonist saves him and then he like goes out of his way to not just ingratiate himself with him but he's like I really really want to steal this plutonium for you which is why he's on that freeway in the first place and I never understood <laughs> even after reading the Wikipedia entry why he was so invested, not just in like, he's not just investigating Sator, but he's like, I need to help you achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. I need to keep you alive. And I have no idea why he felt that way. Uh, yeah. Well, or why all, he helped the, why, why did he feel like he had to save the woman? Why? Because right, she's the woman, like, Andrea. She, I'm, oh, I'm so <laughs> right. right. The thing is that a lot Correct. of what he's doing is Correct. undermining his efforts to save her too, right? Like if he just let Sator drown, presumably they could have just disappeared yeah. or, or done something else, but that he was both protecting her, but also really invested in keeping Sator alive and helping him obtain this plutonium. Yeah. Well, well first of all, you can't rely on the Wikipedia entry because the people who wrote it didn't understand the movie and there's stuff in there that's completely wrong. Uh, not that I blame them. Fair enough. Um, there is a um, conversation. I can't remember if it's, there is a conversation he has with Priya Singh where she tells him that Sater has to live and has to assemble the algorithm because it's their whole plan is to have him assemble it and then they're going to steal it from him. So that might explain. I can't remember now if that was before or after that. Um, <laughs> I think that that was the reason they initially gave. And then, of course, later he realizes that once Buddy's heart stops, then everybody dies, which is also a bummer. But I think so that they, was after that. Yeah, no, but, no, it's uh, definitely much uh, later. It's definitely much later. Much later in the film, temporarily before, uh, because the vacation happens before, like, I think a lot of the setup. But, yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm okay, that sort of makes sense. I, I still find it not very satisfying, but I guess that sort of makes sense. Yeah, well, if he killed, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to even think, but I think if he, if he just let Sater drown, I'm trying to think what he knows at that point, but I mean... I don't it think he knows enough. But he's he's because he's trying to get to the bottom of like the plot of these people in the future sending these bullets back. So if he let Sator drown, I think he mm -hmm. would just sort of lose his way of solving that mystery. Maybe. Yeah. And maybe that's he that's his uh, directive from his bosses is figure this out. And if he doesn't, he has to save that guy in order to to carry out his mission. That seems logical sort of right so maybe another hand wavy thing that connects to this <laughs> is did anyone else understand slash by the whole your ignorance is our best weapon argument or is yeah. that just a ridiculous device no. to avoid the obvious question of why didn't robert pattinson just show up and be like okay so here's what's up yeah 
Yeah. You I send think it's, me back it's to, from it, the future because blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I'm explain everything because it seems to me like actually having the foreknowledge is itself a temporal pincer movement mm-hmm. that would be in, in some way beneficial. So he would really understand why he's doing there. Like there's the reason he thinks he's doing these things to help Sater and the reason Tenet wants these things done, which aren't necessarily the same. Yeah, but it's one of those crazy time travel things where, uh, and where I, I I pity anyone who's listening to this without having seen the movie a few times. But, <laughs> yeah. but when Robert Pattinson meets the protagonist in the past, this we never see this in the movie, but we're told that this happens. Presumably, the protagonist tells him, "When I met meet you in the future, you don't. Uh, I don't know who you are, and you don't tell me. So he has to do things the way that way because he's trying to." direct things to be to happen the way they always happened right like yeah we had a similar conversation you may remember on the dark panel yeah and and i remember seeing some of the 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 comments coming back from from listeners who were like well because they needed the timeline to stay the same i get that to me that's like why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side okay but why does the chicken want to be on the other side of the road <laughs> i need a deeper explanation than this yeah. and and so yes i understand that he for whatever reason thinks that things have to happen the way they happen and maybe it's about contaminating the timeline and there's a potentially interesting conversation that the movie is having with itself about fate versus free will or pre- predetermined pathways versus free will that they kind of dance around because they have to Anyway, all, I, I guess what yeah. I'm saying is it's just it ends up not being a very satisfying explanation. Like well, you can tick the say- box and say this is the reason, and I get that that's the reason the filmmakers need to have, but it doesn't really resonate. Yeah. Well, so let's. So Andrea, you said that there was you were sort of with this movie up into a certain point. Yeah. Could you pinpoint what that point was? Um, let's see. I wrote it down. I, I I think it was. Hold on. I would love to see these notes. I am picturing <laughs> like a wine stain and, and like a scrawl that says "What the fuck!" Um, <laughs> Exclamation point forty two dot dot one five. Exactly at exactly forty two minutes and fifteen seconds. I was like, no. I think it's somewhere around like b- around the um, the car chase. Like I was sort of sort of sort of following it and then it's like car chase backwards you know the 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 both on you know with the uh evil russian kenneth brana with the with the bullet you know the the gun to sad uh, the, to elizabeth debecky's head you know the t- of the two sides that's where and then oh and then yeah i think that was it when he was like i have to go back with her um, you know, she exactly took a bullet. I have to, me. I have to fix, I have to, you know, save her. Why? Why does he know how to save her? Like, he doesn't know that. She, what the hell? Why? Like, I never, that was yeah. never answered why he felt the need. Like, was he in love with her? Did he know that she was an integral part of this story? Um, what was the reason that he had to throw everything away and go through that door and invert himself in order to save her? It never made any sense to me. 
And I think that's, that's exactly the moment yeah. where it lost me. Yeah, exactly. And, and not just the why, but the what. Like that whole scene where they're on either side of the plexiglass mm-hmm. and they're moving in yeah, opposite directions. Exactly. I still have no yeah. idea what was going on there. Yeah. I really don't. Like I have the sort of broadest sense of what's going on there, but and I still don't really know why the inverted bullets are so terrible. Something's like yeah. radiation. Yeah, exactly. Um, just all of that. That's where I just felt like, you know what? We're never going to circle around. Because going back to, to what Anthony said at the beginning, like um, it, it, when you watch a show like Dark or a real a real mind-bending show, I am totally okay with not getting it mm-hmm. for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I, am, I am trusting you, mm-hmm. storyteller, to get me to a point where I feel like I can come to grips with, if not everything, enough to carry me along like some kind of point of articulation and it just never comes in this movie. And I think this was the point where I just, you know, it's like that it's interstellar. I just let go. Oh God. Drift off well, into space. <laughs> yeah. <Just> go. Well, <laughs> like, well, it's not going to be a point of attachment anywhere. Me, anytime. Yeah. Let me see. Cause I, I've watched the car thing over and over and over again, and I still don't really understand it. I sort of get closer each time, but I think part of the problem is that it's a really confusing situation and then it's told in a really confusing way where like critical information is just not included in the movie. So like the protagonist, like before he throws the orange case containing the device to Sator, he sort of surreptitiously takes the device out and throws it into another car. And and we don't actually see that happen until later. So then when he, when Sator is like, where's the device? We're just like, well, I don't know. Where where is it? I, I, we're totally confused. (laughs) And then we don't see how Seder actually gets it. We're just told later, yeah. oh, I, I screwed up and I delivered it in his, into his hands. And we don't understand why. And if you watch it over and over and over again, I think you can eventually piece together why, you know, all this, the sequence of events. But there's no hope without rewinding and fast forwarding, rewinding and yeah. fast forwarding. Like, like the information is, and, and, and- is not presented in a, like, a, a way that would allow you to understand and, what's And happening. also rewinding and fast forwarding it, both both times we do that car chase, the the forward way yeah. and the backward way, because you get different information both times. Unfortunately, both times there it's all so opaque that it's just like, uh, okay, still haven't figured it out, you know. And yeah. this this is why I'm saying like realistically, the protagonist character in all these scenes, you know, in the scene where he's like, I've got I got to go back and save her. Realistically, you would just be like, okay, wait, so who are you guys again? And yeah. like. I don't understand anything that's happening and like how does the time reverses what like, you know? Yeah. And also with, with Kat, the, the wife, like the first time he meets her, she just like, she's like, Oh yeah, I'm being held captive by my husband. Like just like lays out her whole life. Yeah. Yes. I was so (laughs) incredulous. And, And this is, this is why I'm saying like, why this needed so much more time like for like he needed to have like to have a couple interactions with her before she like lays her whole life story on him you know like it's just not real like none of it she has to she has to have a reason to give him that information she has to you know like she metaphorically needs a gun to her head to share that with a stranger she just gives up the whole game right there right then there over dinner it's like but people don't actually do that you know especially when their life is threatened by their ex-husband mobster Maybe don't do that, you know? And I feel like it goes back to this sort of general sense that the movie, so much of the movie when it's not these amazing action sequences are these people who don't, who never really emerge as distinct Mm -hmm. characters, essentially lecturing. They basically show up and they're like, hello, I am this person. And then they lecture the protagonist or in some cases the protagonist lectures them. and, And it's just like, 
pure exposition mm-hmm. and it feels like it has not at all been earned. You're like, why are you explaining this to him? Like, yeah. what is your motivation in any of this? Uh, none of that becomes clear. And I think that w- when we're talking about like confusion, it, it, you know, and we've also mentioned the movie Primer. And I was thinking about that after I watched Tenet. That primers movie were for long stretches. I'm confused about exactly what's happening, but it's and and about what the dialogue means and things like that. But I'm really invested in the characters, and I feel like I understand the general situation of okay, like there are these two rival guys, you know, in this company trying to like take advantage of the time machine in different ways. And so, even if I don't understand the mechanics of a specific scene, it's still satisfying. Whereas none of that stuff really becomes clear to me in tenant so that I feel like I don't know what anyone has at stake. I don't know what the overall goal is. And so the confusion about like what is happening in this scene feels so much worse. Yeah. And, and just to bring up that, I, the, the scene where that, where they're on the both sides of the glass and Debecky gets shot, um, which is where that's the part where I was like, what the fuck's going on? That's when it went nuclear for me. The other part of that scene is these commandos show up out of nowhere like that's when it really started going like who the fuck are these guys <laughs> like what the why are we adding like, new characters why? halfway why? through the movie a really important new characters halfway through the movie uh, really impo- important new characters and then when one of them dies in like the in the climactic sequence yeah. you're supposed to care yeah but i don't even know her yeah. name I, yeah i know <laughs> don't it's just except that by that point yeah. i do know her name because i was watching it in subtitles in the hopes right. that i might pick up <laughs> An extra fragment of information right. here and there <laughs> right. that might help me understand. Yeah, nothing, nothing ever really did that. Because just looking back at like Nolan's other movies, like they're all mind bending. But in each movie, he gives you a reason to care about the characters. It may be like a little obscure what's going on, but you give a damn about the characters. This movie never gets to that point where you give a damn about the characters. And I mean, like I brought up at the beginning, like the the main character, the protagonist. Uh, is bland because, and everybody around him is bland because they're all operatives and that's how they talk. But at some point, we have to get a reason to give a shit about what's going on with him. And it can't be just about, oh, the world's going to end. That's, who cares? But, you know, big, big picture, who gives a damn? There has to be emotional reasons. And I think that's why I attached myself to this needing an explanation for why he was trying to help this woman. There's a humanizing reason there. I think I was trying to impose a humanizing reason there for me to care about him because he's caring about somebody else, but it never really came through as he cares about her as a human or or why he's doing this. And I think there is never any reason for any of these people to – there's no motivation for anything. I can't figure it out. And that's why it's such a cold movie. Like it's a, it's the stand back and watch spectacle as opposed to – I'm getting involved in this in any kind of real emotional way. All right. So what do you guys think of this? So there's so many characters in this movie, right? There's the Ives commando guy. There's <laughs> Michael Caine. There's Priya, the arms dealer. There's <laughs> Michael the, Caine for no reason. For no reason. I support it. <laughs> yeah, the guy absolutely. Who playing a character named Sir Michael. <laughs> yeah. The guy yeah. who pulls off the um, 747 hijacking. Um, oh, there's the, the, the random CIA handler on the boat. Like I feel like these all these character these need to be combined into like one or two characters who we establish Completely some sort yeah. of relationship with. I mean, I, I those guys. We we need we need somebody 
that if, if you're going to have an inscrutable, we've said this before, Dave, in other contexts, if you're going to have an inscrutable Holmes, then you need a Watson. <laughs> you need somebody to attach yeah. to who is somehow going through the same what the fuckery yes. as you are, who has the same questions, who has um, yep. just something that, that anchors the, the movie so that it has some sort of, because you can't have drama without, fundamentally, you can't have drama without emotional resonance. Yes. All you can have is spectacle. Yes. Exactly it's that. Vaudeville. Yep. And, 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 and that's the, that's it's the good vaudeville, <laughs> but, but it's, it's vaudeville. It's just spectacle. Exactly. And, and that character, that Watson character, whatever that is, that's the character. I think in, in, um, Inception, it's the Ellen Page character, um, exactly. where that character asks the questions that the audience has. There is nobody, literally nobody in this movie that asks those questions at all. So. It's so interesting to me that, you know, he was talking, he was sort of talking up this movie for so long as like the movie that was going to save theaters. <laughs> Whereas, you know, we all seem to, it, it seems kind of obvious to us that this is a movie that's going to have sort of niche appeal in a way. And was he not aware of that? Or cause, cause I think like Aaron said at the beginning, like he doesn't care whether you yeah. get it or like it or whatever. And it seems like it, there's a weird sort of conflict between that idea and the like, this is the movie that's going to save cinema kind of. But I think he's yeah. sort of reached that uh, arrogant or auteur point where mm. I don't care. It's my work of art. Get it. Don't get it. I don't care. I'm doing this because I want to. There's the, there's a real stink of arrogance on, um, on off this movie. Uh, and there are just just to support that, there are some choices there that, that uh, you know, just even little things like I love Kenneth Branagh mm -hmm. all day long. Yeah. But I don't understand why he was cast in this movie. <laughs> yeah. he, he is not Russian. Yeah. He is not the right age. Yeah. He is just, and you know what? I love Kenneth Branagh as a hammy as fuck, like yeah. twi mustache twisting villain too. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand the impulse, but I mean, and, and he wasn't, he didn't, you know, he wasn't bad or anything. It was fine. I, I didn't, I didn't trip over it. It's just a kind of an example of like a questionable choice that didn't really need to be made. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny? Although he's actually played the exact same character before. Yes. Exactly the same. Evil Russian uh, mobster who's dying. It's the exact same. And there's even a scene where he's driving with a woman in a car about to kill her. It's 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 uh, one of the Jack Ryan movies, the most recent one. Right. Um, and it's just and that like, one, the one that Kenneth Branagh, Kenneth Branagh cast himself as a Russian gangster yeah, in general. Yeah, just like, why does he keep stop with the Russian, like, just, it's the worst accent for, um. It's not very Yeah, good. it's bad. It's bad. But. I will say that actually I, I'm not going to claim any sort of authenticity in this portrayal, but to me the movie actually came to life when Kenneth Branagh was on scene because, yes. on screen, because he was actually had a discernible motivation, which was this kind of a like like control over his wife and then later on essentially this sort of pure nihilism of you know i'm i I'm, i hate everything i'm about to die and so i'm going to destroy the whole world which is not that common or human but at least is decipherable <laughs> and interesting yeah. in a way that everyone else's motivations were not um and so i was okay with the casting of kenneth Branagh. See, and I, with that character, I, I was okay with it, but for a very different reason. I still, I think those all of his motivations are just super thin to me and, and don't wash at all. 
but the reason he works is because Kenneth Branagh, mm-hmm. he's just so charismatic and just, he just makes you buy it even against all of your instincts. And so I think he really, he does steal the scenes that he's in by sheer force of will, mm-hmm. I think. And he's also the most, he's the most emotional character in this entire thing. He's the one that shows the most emotion. Um, yeah. and, and, um, I think for for me it was just I was so obsessed with the fact that it was the exact same character and exact same terrible Russian accent from the the Jack Ryan movie that I was just like what the hell is this like I'm so confused <laughs> haven't seen and that it's, I'm not sorry oh about God, it. no you have to go see it just so you can go holy shit it's the same thing um, but but and also for me Americans doing bad over the top accents like Russian or German just makes me giggle. So kind of like you've lost me at hello on that one. But as you said, it's Kenneth Branagh. So, okay, sure. What the fuck not? <laughs> All right. Before we run out of time, I want to talk about the climactic battle scene, which so in this uh, in this climactic battle scene, you have, which I thought was pretty cool. You have. Okay, so so we've they've, they've established this concept called a temporal pincer, which is basically where you do a mission and then you see what went wrong, and then you reverse directions, and then go and do it again, um, and do it right. And because of how time travel works in this, you're going to see yourself come back and do it right the first time through when you're doing it wrong. And so then they like take this up to eleven at the climax, <laughs> where there are like two commando teams. One it's one is going to you know drop in ten minutes before the detonation and work their way forward through time, and one is going to wait is going to Actually, I don't, now I'm confused. So somehow they 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 they're starting out ten minutes after the battle and going to work their way backward through time, and they're going to you know converge and surround this this base. And um, I thought this was pretty cool. I was pretty confused the first time through, but I was less confused than by the car chase. And just the uh, the idea of just from a science fiction perspective. This idea, like, oh, we're gonna have this battle, and there's gonna be, you know, soldiers going backward in time and forward in time, and bombs going forward in time and backward in time, and buildings blowing up and unblowing up, and um, I, I just, I just admire that audacity, you know, to even like think about executing a, a science fiction concept of this, you know, strangeness on this scale. So I have to give Nolan credit for for even attempting to to do something this this gonzo and bonkers. Yeah. And, and it, and it did make for, for great spectacle. Mm -hmm. Um, and it had some kind of cool things like people, instead of being blown up by the, by the shrapnel of a building, um, and like a, a round exploding near them, they get sucked into it and Mm -hmm. entombed inside the unexploded building. And, um, and there's some, there's some interesting stuff conceptually. I definitely got lost. And then, but then also some really obvious things. Like, so for me, the tell in the hallway sequence where the two guys are fighting, and it turns out, spoiler alert, that they're both um, John David Washington. The, the reason I could tell is because they went to such great lengths for you to not see anything of the other guy. Mm-hmm. So he's got a mask and he's got gloves on, but I saw his wrists. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I think it's the same guy. The wrists match. <laughs> um, so anyway. Hmm. Th- Wait, you, that- saw his sk- you saw his skin? I saw his skin, just like an inch of skin between his sleeves and the gloves in certain parts of the sequence. Mm-hmm. So I could tell that it was a black man fighting a black man, um, which is not uh, obviously not conclusive, mm-hmm. but all it, it triggered my interest. And the more I thought about it, I was like, I bet you there's a reason he stays 
completely in like that's that's up. weird that's weird because it's established that if they make skin to skin contact they're both going to be annihilated so i'm surprised that the gloves don't aren't like taped up or something anyway so so that that tipped it off um for me but then the one that tipped it off uh in the final sequence about robert pattinson was like how did they not re- realize that the person honking was trying to get their attention yeah exactly <laughs> That was really weird to me. Um, but that being said, even though I knew that someone was trying to get their attention and that it was probably Ro- Robert Pattinson, I still didn't really understand his journey through that sequence. Like that's one where I would like to see it plotted out exactly what it, it's Neil, right? Uh, yeah. Um, what his journey is through that. Cause I got lost, totally lost. Cause at some point he changes directions, right? Yes, he does. He changes directions a few times. Yeah. A few times, yeah. So I definitely, like, literally lost the plot there. I mean, I thought that was su- that was that was a really cool idea, though. That like at the climax, when you think that the um, <laughs> that the bad guys have won, the dead body comes back to life, takes a bullet to the head, and then unlocks the door and lets them in. I mean, that that's just that's brilliant, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, I want to get you back in here. What'd you think of this whole big battle thing? I yeah I know I agree that it was um just sort of so conceptually audacious that I I was really uh I really enjoyed it. I mean it was there were long stretches of it where I wasn't re- completely sure what was going on um and I think you know the the confusion was compounded by the fact that you're essentially you're not seeing two parallel threads you're actually seeing one thread moving forward in time and one moving backwards in time. <laughs> um so like I, for very long stretches, I was like, I have no idea what's happening. Um, but it was still like just cool to see. And then also because that's being um, contrasted with what's happening on the boat with the Kenneth Branagh and Elizabeth Debicki characters, which I think there's a little bit more of like a human scale and human stakes. So I think it kind of all comes together really well there. I did think, I mean, I don't know if you guys watch, there's this YouTube, um, it's like a, what do you call it? Pitch, Hollywood pitch meeting or something like that it's a a comedy sketch thing he does where Mm -hmm. he's talking to himself pitching the movie to himself (laughs) but one of the points that was that he made in that which i totally agree with was um like that you almost never see any shots of the people that they're fighting in a way that's like really weird like the you know the the sador mercenaries that they're fighting Mm -hmm. there's like right one second of footage of them firing back or something and then otherwise you just see the red team and blue team running around and it's just like (laughs) like just kind of weird how Really? And it makes me want to watch that again. I didn't really notice. Yeah, the only okay. one we really see is the guy in the the, the guy, the, the bald guy, right? Yeah. At the end or in the whatever, the one who was trying to ex- explode the algorithm, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, that's the only yeah. one. Yeah, I. We see him like rappel down from a helicopter right. and set up the tripwire. Right. And then he's in the chamber. Yeah. And he's pretty much the only enemy soldier we really yeah. get a good look at. Yeah. It's just, it, it all goes so fast that it's hard to keep up. Like, I, I thought I was keeping up sort of, it's, it's kind of like, I, I, I'm going to compare it to, um, I was trying to, I, I speak a little bit of Italian. Um, so I was trying to, at one point, get my Italian better. So I got, I started watching Italian television. Um, but they speak so fast that it's really hard to follow. So I'm getting words or phrases here and there, but I'm translating them in my head as they're saying it. So the minute I'm like, oh, that meant this, they've already moved on to something else. And I'm just, it's like a constant like, oh, I get that. No. And then they've moved on to something else. So that's what it was like. It was like listening to a very large, very fast 
conversation in a language I only sort of get, you know? Mm. Um, so I was – f- Fewer boobs than Italian television. Yeah, much fewer, much fewer legs, much – yes, exactly. Much fewer. You are correct. <laughs> um, Anthony, any other things you wanted to mention? Um, from the ending, let's see. I mean, I, I it's funny. I, I had noticed that same um, thing where I was like, I feel like I'm mostly just seeing the, the red team and the blue team. Um, and in some ways it felt like an extension of the approach you took in Dunkirk where you don't see any of the Nazis. And, and so it's much more just about sort of the architecture of the sequence, mm-hmm. but I found it a, a bit less satisfying here than, than in Dunkirk, which I liked a lot. Um, and yeah, again, I, I think like it, it's one of those scenes where I, at this point in the movie, I had become very comfortable with just, I'm not really going to understand this and I'm just going to sort of take in mm-hmm. the images. And, and on those terms, it was a reasonably satisfying scene. It's interesting though. Like I, I, I never really noticed that, um, but it's, it's in a way telling because the danger from the future people always feels quite faceless and remote. Mm-hmm. Like it's being managed from a great distance and you can never really pin it down. And so you feel the peril of it in the sense of this, you know, this impending apocalypse, but you, you know, you never see them. Yeah. And so I wonder if that, if that's a, I mean, it's a deliberate choice, obviously, um, from, from some perspective, but I wonder if there's like a, like a deeper <laughs> meaning, whether accidental or <laughs> deliberate, a deeper, a deeper message there. Well, I, I feel like it's it's you're being told to be afraid of this you're being told this is awful but you never mm. never really understand why you never see any yeah. reason why um although i will i will say i mean i totally agree with what you guys are saying about sort of the lack of emotional impact but i did um when when we find out at the end that neil has known the protagonist for years and is now going to his death and this is the end of their friendship like that was, I, I, I was kind of like, you know, that was the one part in the movie where I had sort of an emotional reaction to it. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, Neil, I like, I, you know, I've come, even though there's like so little character development, I've, I've come to like this guy, which is why I'm saying I think Robert Pattinson d- did quite a good job mm-hmm. in this movie because I did kind of like have this affection for him, um, even, even with so little um, in the way of character development. Yeah, that's two and a half hours in though. I, I agree with you. I did feel like sad, but two and a half hours after this started, ooh, yikes. I didn't feel sad because I didn't get it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna completely be honest about that. I think by that point in the movie, I had virtually checked out. Um, there, you know, I had just sort of given up on trying to understand what I was watching, and it wasn't until later that I sort of pieced together that that Neil was making this sacrifice. It didn't land in the moment, and so so that's just me, and I'm sure most people got it, but I do think it's kind of telling that this this one emotional punch that maybe could have landed still missed me by a mile because I was already on the floor. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. well, exhausted. <laughs> well, because well, you didn't catch that the body lying there had the little red string thing. Like like I'm saying, like these details just go by so fast that it's just kind of like luck whether you catch them or not. Yeah. Um, let me just read some of the, some of the stuff I only picked up after from like explainer YouTube videos and stuff like that. Um, so the, you know, where you have the red team and the blue team and the red team's moving forward in time and the blue team's moving backward in time. So that's sort of a reference to the Doppler effect where you have red shift and blue shift, depending on whether things are moving away from you or towards you, the light. And, um, 
the um the red and blue is used throughout the movie to sort of signal whether people are moving forward or backward through time so like when um cat is is held hostage in the car she's wearing this bright red dress because she's not inverted in the car and the villain are inverted and stuff like that so i thought and the the shipping containers are all color-coded and everything so i thought i didn't really notice that the first Mm -hmm. time through and i thought that was pretty cool um so there's something in that was found in the ruins of pompeii called the Seder square do you guys know about Mm -hmm. this yeah i heard about that Okay, so so basically, um, in the ruins of Pompeii, there's this carved um, grid, and it spells out Seder, Opera, Aleppo, Rhodus, whatever, and you know it's and they're all palindromes, and so every you know every combination of those letters you can read in every direction, and so like a lot of the so Seder obviously is the villain in this, and then uh, there's an opera, and then Rhodus is the company that controls the Freeport. Um, Arepo is the um, forger who forged the painting. So um, I don't know, that was kind of interesting. Um, it's like really beautiful embroidery on a shitty quilt. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think there's a few other things we can maybe mention from the ending, uh, partly just because I didn't like any of that stuff, um, which it comes after the sort of climax and then, in the midst of that conversation with Neil, it's not just him revealing their their relationship, which I did find interesting, but also then this whole kind of heavy-handed conversation about faith, and which I guess has been this very not clear to me and fairly obscure thread through the rest of the film of like, and part of that question of ignorance that um, I think Aaron brought up earlier. And, and this idea of like having sort of like a faith vet in, in this tenant organization and um, this idea that, you know, they ha- I don't even understand exactly what they're supposed to be having faith in, but that they, you know, say, yes, faith, you must have faith. And um, I, that kind of was a pretty big dud for me. I think that probably links back to the, uh, your ignorance is our best weapon sort of thing. Kind of like yes. not knowing and having faith that this is how it should happen is how this happens or something along those well, lines. Yeah, I think it's there, but yeah. I just didn't yeah. – I didn't. it didn't work. It didn't connect for me emotionally. Well, because well, cause Neil's about to sacrifice his life. So we have to understand why he's going to sacrifice his life. And, and so we know that it's because he believes in this mission of, you know, upholding what always ha- – mm-hmm. you, know, you know, sticking to what always happens. Um. I actually thought it was, I didn't notice this until the second time through, but I thought it was kind of interesting that the protagonist is going to go on to found the tenant organization, mm-hmm. which is then going to recruit Neil. And that sort of the primary entrance requirement is you have to be willing to sacrifice your life to join this tenant organization. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like there's an interesting connection there because the first, the, the protagonist's introduction to this organization was like, oh, someone's sacrificing their life to save the world. And so it makes sense that that becomes the central, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, recruitment uh, criteria. Yeah. This, I was sure you were going to say the central tenant. <laughs> <laughs> really um, missed opportunity there. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it might be too late in the game to bring this up, but I also didn't uh, completely understand what ended up happening with Priya. She was yeah. I'm I'm still kind of confused about same. that. Like, like like basically, she was gonna kill. Like she told the protagonist that she wouldn't have Cat killed, but then she was going to, and so he. So then the protagonist kills Priya, 
because she tried to kill Kat. Mm-hmm. I'm still not 100% yeah. clear on, on the dynamics of that, but I think that's basically what was going on. Yeah, I mean, I got that part. That's a that's okay. the, that's the chicken crossing the road to get to the other <laughs> side, but I'm still not clear why the chicken uh, on the deeper whys yeah. of the sequence. <laughs> well, I the only reason I sort of I got it is because I you know reading an explainer of it is that at one point he says to uh, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, if you feel something, if you feel like threatened, leave me a message, and I'll I'll you know help you. So that's what she's doing when she sees that car at the, right at the very end. She sees the car. She feels there's something going on. So she calls. She makes a phone call. And just as she's making that phone call, we cut to the car and it's Priya. And she's saying, time to, you know, the, you know, get rid of the loose ends. And that's when the protagonist gets in the car. And then he plays the message um, that what's her name the, the woman has just left him okay. um so it's the it's well, a payoff actually, i think he starts playing it before she makes the call yeah okay um whatever i don't i don't even, just to go ahead. further flourish it but but yeah but yeah yeah but <laughs> but why does priya want her dead i mean yeah. really why on exactly. a deeper level <laughs> yeah. and then why is the best way to handle this to shoot priya in the car yeah or why does he even want to save more the broadly, woman also what what is priya like who what is Priya's motivation? Like, is she a different faction? Like, she's not the destroy the future people, but she's not Tenet, or I don't yeah. really understand Priya yeah, at all. She was working. She was working for the protagonist allegedly. Mm-hmm. She is part of Tenet. I mean, that's she's part of. She Tenet, is part of. But Tenet. she's like the part of, and she knows she must know she's working for the protagonist. So she probably, if she had her thinking cap on, <laughs> would have realized that if the boss told her not to do it, he probably meant that shit. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me a lot. And the whole sort of tying up loose ends thing. Yeah. Also, I'm not really clear on why, yeah. why, why any of that would be necessary. Yeah. See, I didn't get the feeling that she was working for tenant. I got the feeling that she was um, like a neutral outside source. That's giving him information. I don't, I don't know why. No, because did she say at some point that he, that she, would- yeah, well, well, he's holding a gun to her husband and she says mm-hmm. like something about tenant. Right, and then that's right. how he knows. That she works and then he says that. also in the car, he says, like, we, it turned out we were both working for me. So Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. See, this is the point is like, you're saying all this and I'm like, eh, I don't give a shit. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, it maybe took you a little longer to check out than it took me. But by yeah. this point, I was like looking at my watch. Yeah. Like, are we done here? Yeah. The, I, I have to admit, there were, me- there were a couple of moments in there where I was starting to snooze off. So. And let me underscore again, this is only because I watched the movie twice and watched like five or six hours of explainer Yikes. videos. If I was just talking to this after one, uh, talking about this after one video, I would not have much. Yeah, that's <laughs> much com- to, that's I would commitment. not be able to explain almost any of this. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like those those old school mechanical puzzle box toys that are really awesome and no fun whatsoever to play with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you could open them like a Swiss watch and admire all the gears and it all right. works perfectly. And you watch it go through once and it clickety clacks and yeah. then it's over and you're like, okay, yeah. put it on a shelf, yeah. let it gather dust forever. Well, I think that the, 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 uh, that is an apt metaphor because the thing that's not fun about those things is there's no real solution to it. Like if I felt like there was a solution at some point, I realized there was no solution to any of this. And I was just like, uh, why, then why should I care? I, I just check out, you know? Okay, I'm done now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and done. 
All right, so we're, we're there's a lot more to say about this movie, but we're pretty much out of time, so I think we'll we'll just have to leave it. Um, I will say there's a lot of fan theories. I'm not in love with any of them, but if you're curious, um, just like look up fan theories on YouTube, and you can like go down that rabbit hole. Um, and like I said, there's all these like little animations. So if you're if you want to really get more into you know what exactly was happening on the freeway heist and stuff you can watch little you know where all the cars and all the people are although like i said i i'm not yet at the point where i feel like i I really actually understand it um and maybe if you don't want to watch the whole movie you can just watch the action sequences and that's probably just as satisfying (laughs) yeah yeah no i think that's i think that's true yeah um and i do think okay but so I guess my final thought will just be, but I do hope that, um, I think the, like I said, I think there's a lot of cool ideas in this movie and I hope that Nolan or other filmmakers or whatever, take some of those ideas and and run with them because I could see this, uh, you know, just this idea of like, oh, there's a machine and it reverses what direction you're traveling in time. Um, I think, you know, you could do, you could make a TV series out of that and it would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, but so why don't we start wrapping this up though? But so, uh, so Anthony, any, Final thoughts on this whole experience of watching Tenet? Yes, I would say that despite the many, many complaints I had, I'm still glad I saw it because visually it was so impressive. And that uh, I would love Christopher Nolan to work with the co-writer for his future <laughs> film. Um, preferably not his brother, Jonathan, who I think has been a good influence on some of his other movies, but maybe somebody else. I, I think that would be great. Um, so how about Aaron? Final thought? Um, I mean, I agree. With, I agree with Anthony's final thought for all of the sort of criticisms and teasing and all the rest of it. I think it's a solid three star movie from any perspective. Like I think I, I, I enjoyed most of it. Um, I think I would have probably been less critical of it had it been about half an hour shorter. And so I had just reached sort of critical mass impatience. But honestly, it is an entertaining movie. It is worth seeing. I think it's a crushing disappointment that we didn't have the opportunity to see it in the big screen the way it was meant to be seen, because I think all of the things that we do appreciate about this movie would be even more mind blowing um, with that big screen experience. So that's a shame. Um, maybe if we're lucky, we will get to experience something like that in theaters sometime soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that. So Andrea, final thought. Um, I, I agree with everything that was just said. And also I'm just want to say that I'm really um, shocked and surprised uh, that, Christopher Nolan was able to uh, make me a movie that is even more opaque than Interstellar, you know, so kudos there uh, for completely fucking confusing the hell out of me. If you want impenetrable movies. Yes, exactly. Please make it (laughs) as obscure and as hard to decipher as possible because I need to sleep more. And that's, uh, that's sort of, <laughs> that's what happens to me when I'm watching these movies. Yeah. I guess although my, my, my final, final thought though, is um, I, again, you know, I do think that this is a much, wa- a must watch movie for science fiction fans. And there's just so many movies that have no ambition. And this movie has a lot of ambition and yeah, obviously yeah. we have a lot of issues with it, but uh, I just want to note that this is not a movie that's, taken the easy route yeah. you know it's it's trying to do something new and something sort of gonzo mm-hmm. and you know I, I gotta give it respect for that yeah I, I agree with that as well actually ambition um outweighs um laziness uh, 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 an, an understandable movie that's lazy as fuck so yeah 
All right, we've got to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Aaron Lindsay, Anthony Ha, and Andrea Kale. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Aaron Lindsay, Anthony Ha, and Andrea Kale for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.